And we're live with our 235th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on social media platforms, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on, again, social media platforms. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome back to another episode. Uh, excited to be back. Uh, Ken and I had great experience this past weekend at CactusCon down in Arizona. Um, actually met up with a few listeners during the happy hour. We have some new sock swag to show off. And um, overall, uh, it was a good experience. There was a lot of good talks. They had an AI village that was going on that was fairly interesting. Um, it's interesting to see what people are doing in, obviously, the AI space. Like, I mean, it's big, been a big discussion top. There you go. Ken's got the socks up, right? Even with the Crocs and Socks logo at the top. We gave away some Crocs as well. So if you were at the happy hour, um, Crocs and Socks, baby. Sweet. Um, as far as um, other announcements, uh, this episode is sponsored by Impart Security. Impart was one of our... Um, co-sponsors for the happy hour um, and yeah I'd like to you know give a shout out to them did you know that 41% of organizations have recently experienced an API security incident despite this API security continues to be deprioritized why reasons include security teams not having an easy way to take inventory of all their APIs challenges involved with continuous API monitoring and testing and lack of flex flexible firewall rules to enforce API security with Unpart Security's API security platform, security teams can finally have effective and pro-code friendly runtime protection that helps to proactively analyze, mitigate, and respond to ongoing API threats. Check out impart.security for more info, or if you're, yeah, yeah, reach, oh, yeah, the rest of it is, uh, you know, happy hour, uh, you know, yeah. Anyway, check out impart.security if you're looking for an API security tool. Um, it's a, you know, we had Brian Joe, Joe on the podcast recently. It's a great little like uh, segment and on API security, what they're doing from a WAF perspective, how they're actually combining some of the AI stuff into that. Um, outside of that, uh, next up on Ken and I's schedule, we will be at KernelCon. Um, this is early April um, training. Uh, we're doing practical secure code review. Um, I am a an alternate as far as like uh, speaking as well. So if somebody else drops out, I may actually be doing the talk that week. Um, and I'll drop the link in there for the training. This is a great spot to actually come and get training just because it is a small regional conference. Um, it ends up not being quite as expensive as some of the other places that we do train through. So kernelcon.org slash training code review. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Ken, anything else that you wanted to bring up before we dive into some of these articles today? Maybe I'll just yeah. ask you, like, what were your thoughts on, on CactusCon? We'll start there. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we both just got back, right? Like literally not yesterday, but the day before um, spent. So there was two days of talks, um, went to both days of talks uh, first day john poolin our friend from uh cloud security partners gave a talk on you've got like 60 minutes and some credentials how do you proceed into exploiting uh aws which was nice because the second day there was a talk uh maybe i'll figure out his name but uh there was a talk on persistence once you've exploited 
AWS. So it was kind of nice that the first day you get that talk and the second day you get another talk. Um, I liked attacking and defending generative AI um, in the AI village. The only, the only thing that I will say though, okay, okay so I just want to say like, I really liked the talk. Um, the two things I kind of pulled away from it that were really interesting uh, was the concept of guardrails and a tool called Garak, G-A-R-A-K. Both are used to help kind of secure your um, generative AI applications and prevent things like prompt injection. But, you know, and I'm getting, you know, Seth, I'm getting a little tired of that term prompt injection. It's a little strange just because <laughs> it's like... Um, to date, right? There's not much in the, the sense of parameterization. So it's like, it's like having, um, you know, back in the day, the only the ability to inter interpolate or concatenate content into a, a SQL query. It's the same here with AI. Everything you put in there, context, user prompt, system prompt, et cetera, it's all mashed together in one large prompt and then sent off to the LM always, right? I'm sure we'll get smarter, better with that. But for now, that is the state of affairs and how it works. So anyways, that mini rant aside, um, talked a lot about prompt injection, second order prompt injection. So again, kind of making the uh, old, new again, in a different type of technology stack. Uh, I really enjoyed um, seeing the creative ways. Uh, you know, it's one of the ones that he talked about was like uh, getting, um, so phishing people's credentials, or excuse me, phishing personal information out of people. That was fun. But also like, um, you know, the chat app aspect of, I think it was like a Chevy dealership where, you know, you got it such that it'll only tell people about like Dodge and Ford trucks or something along that, those lines instead of Chevy vehicles. Um, that was kind of funny. Uh, I did, I'll say this. I think I, what I realized is a lot of the, uh, the attack side of things is kind of relying on more so chatbots at, at this moment. And I believe that's because it takes such free form input and produces such free form output. Now, that's kind of the summary of the talk, but I guess uh, what I, you know, what I mentioned to you and what I'm realizing is that when it comes to, to like, um, and it wasn't just AI stuff, right? It was a lot of talks. I'm starting to realize that sometimes in security, and I know that it's a limitation of talk lengths, but sometimes in security, we get a cursory level of knowledge on the tech technology, do a little bit of shenanigans on it, and then call it a day for a talk. And that's not mm -hmm. to say anything specific about the speakers at CactusCon or any specific talks there. But, you know, it's like um, if you're really heavy into a, a, a topic, uh, sometimes these conferences are, are the ones that aren't DEF CON or Black Hat, right? People I think it was you or someone else who was like, yeah, people save up all their great talks for those conferences. And I'm like, so what I'd like to say is I would love to see more of that spread throughout the year at other conferences and not just held on to those big ones. I know that's very idealistic. It's not realistic, but. Um, that'd be really cool because, yeah. you know, there's, I'd like to go deeper with some of these things than what we see. And I know, again, within the time limitations, there's some restri uh, restrictions there. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah. And I think, a, I, I think a part of that, right. Like just from a, an overall organization perspective, right. Like, so speaking at Black Hat and DEF CON are one of those like kind of career defining things, right? Like everybody's like, Hey, I'm going to do this research. I'm really going to dig into it. So I can speak at Black Hat and DEF CON. I can put that on my resume as a DEF CON speaker or like, I mean, you know, let's be honest, you and I like training for DEF CON and Black Hat. That's a big thing. Like, you know, it just yeah, spurs sure. additional opportunities. And so like, I get it. Um, I have seen quite a bit uh, of, 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think overall what you're saying is correct, right? Like most of the time when we go to these, you know, the other conferences, it's like prepping or, right, like maybe they aren't as fine-tuned as some of the larger conferences. That being said, like the, you know, the good speakers are the ones that really do a deep dive no matter what it is, right? Like no matter where they're at. Um, and I, it, yeah, I, I, like I don't think we're ever going to get away from that because they, those are the premier conferences, right? Like it's it's... You know, in academia, you see a lot of the same thing, right? Like there'll be like smaller meetups or discussion groups or whatever it is regional, but the big conferences is where they like present the full on paper that they go really deep to actually, you know, present that info. I mean, even, uh, you know, Portswigger and um, yeah, I, I mean, we're going to talk about the, you know, the top 10 web, web hacking techniques from, you know, about I, Albino Wax and everything this year. Um, but they do the same thing, right? Like, you know, even the big names, that's what they focus on because that's where they get the biggest press. So, it, I mean, it's it, it it's hard to dispute, right? Um, and But I think it is finding those nuggets, like the gems at each of the conferences where people are really doing that research and releasing it as opposed to some of the craft and some of like the summaries that go on at those places. That's all. I mean, for, for me with Chris Gates, we were doing around years of rounds of talks everywhere. And what we do is we just go to the, the, yeah, like a cactus con or somewhere like that, do those talks progressively. Like, so you start at meetups, go to these conferences and then work up to the final version, the most polished version of your talk. Right. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, you know, it wasn't O days we were dropping on stuff. It was like just common, like uh, when we did our DevOps series of talks for a few years, you know, it was just taking the most common misconfigurations, research from using Shodan, stuff like that. Uh, it was a lot of content. I will say it was a lot of content in like a 50 minute talk. Um, oftentimes we struggle to, to even get everything in within 50 minutes. But anyways, I, I, I don't know. Like, I would say this. The first day talks were really, really good. And the second day, it's, there's nothing against the second day talks. They were also good. It's just some of them were um, just being objective here. Some of them were just like a little to, to me and things I could have done in pretty short order time and figured out. But, uh, but on the whole, I would say a lot of the talks were really good. Um, really enjoyed it. The batch hacking stuff was really fun. I've got that. Hold on right here. Neat little badge hacking uh, stuff that we did. Um, very cool. Um, I'm, I think my battery might be dead, but it's cool. The theme was hack, big hack tar. Uh, so it was very Orwellian themed. Um, and so like the the score on this interface would go, yeah, my battery's dead. Don't put a double A battery in here, even though it looks like a double A battery. Someone exploded theirs doing that. Uh, no, but anyways, um, Big Hacktar is essentially Big Brother, um, and they have new speak, right? And you, your score on, on this interface goes up or down based off of your uh, conform. So the, the higher the score, the more conformance, the lower the score, the least amount of conformance, um, which is what you really want, right? Um, if you get to zero, you're uh, brought in for re-education. Um, and now... The other part to that is that there was um, there was uh, there were um, repeaters throughout where they would uh, send signal to either decrease or increase your score. You could attack other players. The most the the thing I regret the most is not bringing my flipper zero there. That was the thing I regretted the most. 
Um, yeah. Just because, you know, that would have been a lot of fun to uh, to mess with some badges. Um, so then we had the happy hour the first night, right? Um, that went really well. Had a lot of fun. We've got pictures from that. And, um, yeah, overall, really fun event. Got to catch yeah. with a lot of good people. What were your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, it was good, right? Like, um, like I, it was – I, was, I wasn't necessarily expecting the AI village to be as like, you know, kind of informative as it was, uh, you know, as it turned out to be, right? Like, I, don't, I, I wasn't something that was necessarily on my radar when we first went to it. Um, and again, it was like, a, you know, DEF CON style where it was a mini other conference going on inside of the larger conference itself, right? So there was a couple of, you know, main stage talks on LLMs, on cloud, on everything else, like as you would expect. And then the AI village was more focused in on like the, you know, the, you know, prompt injection or the, you know, breaking that stuff. Um, let's see, what else did I like? I mean, in general, I think there's a good fill for that one um, at CactusCon. Um, you know, it, it doesn't dive as much again into the application security side of things. Um, it is more of a generalist conference, but that's what you expect it to be. Um, good number of vendors, good number of people. Um, and and actually, I, I felt like there were more people from out of state, um, out of the region this time around. Like we met people from New York. We met people from, you know, California, obviously. Um, but it seems like they're coming from further afield uh, for CactusCon than in previous events. Uh, I guess, you know, they were close to like 1,800 in-person attendees this year, which is, you know, didn't necessarily feel like it. It still felt like a pretty uh, tight knit community. So I, I mean, kudos to Andrew and you know Christina and their team, right? The team at CactusCon for putting on that event. As always, um, it is you know it's kind of a labor of love. If you've ever ever been involved in one of those regional mm -hmm. conferences, it's not necessarily a money maker. Um, yeah, so. I think they walked away yeah. with like 30K, they said. And then they like, that just goes right into the next year's conference, like for putting deposits down. So it's like, it is not a money-making thing at all. Nope. Yeah. I was trying to think what else I was, a, was appreciative of there. I don't know. I, I mean, it was, it was good, right? Like, you know, it's one that I always enjoy. So um, it, it's yeah, very I mean, it similar was, to it, a Colonel Con, right? Yeah, go ahead. You were just excited about the tacos. That's, that's really what you were excited about. <laughs> yeah. How many times do we have tacos? I don't know. Like every meal, <laughs> every day. <laughs> tacos in another form. Tacos. Yeah. And we got an adult root beer float. That was cool. I did. That was cool. <laughs> you, did. Um, you did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know what I'll say about the cat, about CacusCon going to the talks? Cause like, I feel like I, you know, hopefully it didn't come off is judgy about the talks. There were really a lot of good talks, just as some of them were, like I said, whatever. But ultimately, it, I went to talks. And I think that's like, that that's something that's hard, uh, frankly, to do. I feel like most of the time I go to a conference, I'm there like doing networking and maybe trying to sell something if I'm, you know, if I own my own company or whatever. But this one is fun because I get to be like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I get to go back to my roots. I get to badge hack. I get to hack on things in general. I get to see talks about things I don't do for a living, you know, because like you said, it's not a lot of AppSec. There were there were a few AppSec ones, right? Like there was like uh, subdomain takeovers and the ramifications of that. But I mean, I've dealt with that at GitHub. We built something similar to what 
he used. And it was nice, though, because he dropped a lot of different tools that you can use for different types of records. And so that was really cool. Um, and yeah, like I, the one I didn't get to because we we did that, I think, I forget what the name of that that talk was. We did we did that talk in in the uh, in track three. We went to that talk, and then we were just it was it was like an hour. So then the next one was going to be about securing webhooks. It was going to be another hour, and I think we just were exhausted. It was the second day. It was like the very last sec, second to last talk. The last talk being the closing keynote or the closing ceremony. So, anyways, it was a really fun time. I think people yeah. should definitely make it out there. It reminds me of ShmooCon circa 2010 2009 back when i used to love it yep yeah well and i i mean that's it right like i i know i you know in the past year like i was bagging on some of the like workshops and you know trainings that are like you know not necessarily so focused on a you know day to day um and i think it was talos that was bringing up well you know as long as people like find that uh find that conference, find that event that keeps them engaged. That's probably a good thing. And, and, and I would agree, right? Like that's, that's where it's at. Like, how do you stay excited about the industry in general? Cause we do have a tendency, right? Like, as we've seen so much to be like, Oh, great. You know, look, uh, another like input validation issue or authorization. And you know what I mean? Like it, it's hard to get as excited about the stuff that we see on a day in day out basis. So just having those new ideas, something else that, and that sparks your interest is, is great right um and that's where cactus con you know like you said schmoo back in the day or kernel con or even defcon uh, can help out yeah i mean i try to be a lifelong learner but you know it is like you said it is i mean in the beginning you learn so much right you learn so much everything is interesting everything is cool and then as time goes on you learn a little more and then as a, like a lot of time goes on even like new techniques are just old techniques, but like on a new tech stack kind of variation of something before. And it just becomes, so you have to really like, I feel like immerse yourself constantly to stay, to, to, to pick out the nuggets and cherry pick the things that are really, really useful. And, but keep that mentality of lifelong learner, you know, keep an open mind and all that. Uh, anyways, I know we got a lot to talk about, so we don't have to, yeah, about it forever, yeah, but I don't know. I, I felt it was really nice, and it was the it was the first time in a long time. I, yeah, it was fun. Cool. Um, good. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you want to dive into first? Right. Like we've got the top ten. Right. Those posted this last week. The top ten web hacking techniques of twenty twenty three um, from James Kettle. I always find these interesting. Maybe let's just dive straight into that because I always find these interesting, right? I'm going to drop them in to both of the different channels here. I always find these interesting because they 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 fill a different role than something like the OWASP top 10, right? So we definitely have the OWASP top 10, which are like the basics. We've got the crocs and socks of security, right? Like whatever that is um, as far as like, implementing authorization, authentication, auditing, right? Like everything that is associated with that, right? Um, but the top 10 web, web hacking techniques are, okay, new and innovative things. It doesn't necessarily mean that every app is going to be vulnerable to these, these web hacking techniques. In fact, I would argue that probably most are not. Um, but novel ways to get at data, to get at, you know, stream of communications, to actually do something that was unintended, 
um, again, like the inspiration of, hey, maybe this will lead to something more like the desync attacks or whatever else it is. Uh, the one thing that I've struggled with in the past with these top 10 is, you know, things like Burp Suite claiming that there is a desync attack that's available and not being able to recreate that, right? Like, so, so you've got to take it with a grain of salt, but it still is um, like kind of an inspirational type thing or like even like innovative, right? I, I guess it's more innovative than it is necessarily instructive in all cases. So I've posted it there. I mean, I, I know you read up on a couple of these, like which ones stand out to you in that list? Yeah. Um, the one I really focused on was because uh, I was curious about exploiting HTTP parsers inconsistencies. So, you know, I kind of cherry picked that article as the one that uh, I would read in depth since I had uh, many other materials to read through this morning. Um, yeah. So this one just interested me. I don't I'm not saying it's more interesting than others. I just like the, the thought of it. So, I mean, I can run through it. But the basic gist is that um, and I think like this is something, you know, we, we've known about uh, not just HTTP parsing, but just like various libraries in general in, in various languages. They do things differently always. So if they're used as uh, some sort of security mechanism, um, then and, and tiered and layered. We've talked about this before with like, you know, microservices and SOA, uh, service-oriented architecture, where the front end then passes content, like parses, repackages things, uh, does authorization decisions, send after it's done its authorization decisions, packages all that stuff back up, uh, all the data back up in its own way, in its own format versus what came to it raw, then passes that onto the back end. The back end, you know, interprets differently than the front end did. Uh, authorization stuff becomes all wonky and mismatch and boom, you've got some authorization issues. So we've talked about that kind of idea here before. This is a version of that. So very simply, there's a trim function that gets used in a lot of languages um, pretty universally to remove excess characters, white spaces, stuff like that, right? Um, what they noted was that Nginx is written in C, so it doesn't escape a lot of characters. And then each language that's put behind Nginx, so you know, a Node.js app, a Flask app, a Spring Boot app, those are some of the examples they show. Those applications then themselves do some authorization differently. So, uh, or excuse me, parsing differently. So when this example they show is putting Nginx in front of these different web applications, putting in some, um, characters into the path name. Most of this centers around the path name. And if you go down to the Nginx config example, you'll see a deny all, right? Location forward mm -hmm. slash admin, location forward slash admin forward slash. And the idea is that Nginx is gonna do authorization first. And then once it reaches this node app, there's no authorization done within the node app. I don't know how realistic that is. I'm sure that happens places. Um, and I know with administrative interfaces, it probably is more common. I know you've seen that before, Seth. We've talked yeah. about it on the podcast. But I, I, you know, essentially you're saying, well, don't worry about doing any authorization inside of the Node app. So I don't know. I don't know. But in any case, Nginx says, okay, well, I don't recognize any of those characters as something I need to strip, but it's not exactly matching forward slash admin. It's forward slash admin X09 or something like that. Okay, cool. I mean, that's not the forward slash admin folder. So pass the request off to Node.js. Node.js runs a trim function um, or 
actually maybe doesn't run a trim function. Um, following the trim logic, no, it ignores the character. Yeah, so it ignores, oh, okay. So I'm guessing somewhere underneath the hood, like the web server of Node.js here is parsing out the path name and removing those excess characters. So then when it repackages it, it says, oh, it's forward slash admin, not forward slash admin X09. You have the mismatch there and then it returns an administrative uh, response. The same thing is shown over and over again in different uh, applications. And um, anyways, it was it was a fun read. I, I'd say, yeah, give it a read. It's pretty cool. Some of the yeah. ramifications of this are bypasses and logic, HTTP desync attacks, things of that nature. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, to your point, right? Like this is one of those um, like layering of technologies, right? Like the more complex that we make things and WAF, like, it, I mean, technically this is a WAF bypass, right? Like, so you've got Nginx or, you know, Cloudflare or, it, you know, AWS or something like that, a WAF that's sitting in front of your application itself and you're restricting access based on, you know, the WAF rules that are in place. And this this is where I've seen it in the past as well, is that the the regular expressions, the way that implement that the WAF implements those regular expressions is different than the way the backend actually does, right? Um, and unless you've got the same, like, unless you match that up, there can be flaws and edge cases that exist within that. Um, the, the thing that's interesting within this paper itself is the level of research that they've gone to, right? Like they've actually looked at all the different characters and what gets stripped out by the back end, like by Flask in this case, right? Okay, so it removes all these characters. Can I add any of those to this location URL and have it not match the, the denial rule that Nginx is putting in place? Yes, yes, we can, right? So it's a matter of adding, like from a defense in depth perspective from a, you know, I've got an application, I'm running these technologies, right? Um, Basically, you're just going to have to look and see what that actually is, what those different, um, yeah, what those characters are as they're coming in. You're going to have to build out or use Nginx and actually like strip out those characters, change those characters in that place. I mean, you know, the, the, the instance that I found a couple of years ago was actually URL encoded characters that weren't actually interpreted by the WAF before it was sent back, but they were interpreted as, you know, normal characters by the server itself. And that's, I mean, it's the same sort of mismatch. And so you've got to normalize things, right? It's an input validation flaw when it comes down to it. But the edge cases are where you're always going to get hit. Um, that's where we find our best flaws from a security perspective or from an attacking perspective, assessment perspective. That's where, like, we've got to be concerned from a defense perspective, a blue team perspective. Uh, but it is, I, you're right, it's pretty innovative. Like, I, I love the fact that they've gone to the level of, hey, these are actually the characters that each of these different technologies are interpreting or stripping out with their trim function that Nginx is not because of the way that Nginx is built, right? So Spring only has a couple of them, you know. It, yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a very good breakdown and it's fun, uh, fun stuff. I know as of 2022, um, most of these things still work in Nginx. So I don't know if like in 2024 they still do, but based off what I know about how well things get secured in open source software and such, um, it's probably still there in some form or fashion. So uh, anyways, you know, it's pretty cool. What what article did you end up uh, pulling or articles or what, what was of interest the most to you? Yeah, let me think, right? Um, 
I mean, the the smashing the state machine stuff, I think we talked a little bit about that after DEF CON because that's where um, James actually presented it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, I was, I was just in the middle of reading that one too. I was, uh, it, it seemed like it was about practical uses of race conditions. Um, and I know John Poulin had, uh, had, has shown, um, in some research before, like, uh, making two things that weren't previously super, ex- at least weren't thought of like that as like, uh, exploitable, which were, um, race conditions and, uh, timing attacks. Um, so it's always fun when people take something that I will say that about research. It's always nice when someone takes something that you put into a report, but necessarily or don't necessarily have like the best research to point to or whatever. You know, it's an issue, but it's like hard to give like references and like good examples and whatnot. It's nice when people do that work so that you can reference good, solid research that like this is a thing that can be exploited. Yeah, I, one of the ones that I was starting to get into, and again, like, I mean, we're probably going to have to do, we'll do follow-ups on these, the interesting ones that we see, right, was the, you know, the cookie crumbles one, um, web session integrity, um, like follow-ups to C-Surf on, oh, well, C-Surf is no longer an issue, but when it comes down to it, yeah, it is, because we still, we still struggle from a security perspective to implement the integrity checks properly, right? Like that's, um, and then let me post that one up there here's it's like the, session fixation with a c-surf token but a c-surf fixation kind of thing where you can replay i assume mm-hmm. or, yeah yeah well and i mean the you know what is it um token ba- uh, we question the effectiveness of these protections here let me actually present that uh that page here really quick is this is just the abstract in and of itself right like this is the one that i was starting to dig into um But yeah, like it says, we question the effectiveness of these protections and study the real world implications of cookie integrity issues, showing how security mechanisms previously considered robust can be bypassed exposing web applications to session integrity attacks. Um, So it's it's related to CSERF solutions like same site um, cookies. Um, In general, like we have a a tendency to be like, oh, there's a new solution for web, you know, web, web session integrity, it fixes all of our issues without doing necessarily a deep dive into what's going on behind the scenes, right? Like we, we have a tendency to trust those newer solutions as they pop up. Um, and this is one where they're they're digging into what's going on behind the scenes and actually saying, yeah, this isn't actually the panacea that we thought it was. And again, there are edge cases that you need to be thinking about to make sure that you know, you're not gonna have the same C-surf issues or you know cross origin issues that you that we've had in the past, right? Um, yeah, the cross browser evaluation of cookie integrity results originating. Anyway, that's the one that I was digging into. I don't have a good hold on all of the issues that they've identified in it yet, right? Like I said, like we were at the, the conference, so I haven't necessarily done all my like readings up to it, into it up to this point. But this is one that I deal with, right? Like on a daily basis, like we find like consistent, you know, I know for years we've always been like uh, JWTs are not cookies. Why are we re-implementing the wheel um, with JOTS, right? But I, I, I continually find issues with JOTS over and over in the assessments that I do. So I'm pretty sure that this is gonna lead to a few more things that we add to our list of checks uh, when we're doing assessments uh, with the new 
same site uh, tokens and other things that exist there. Yeah, I like how they they call that like previously robust solutions, <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. longer robust solutions. <laughs> it's like, man, come on, this stinks. I mean, in a good way. Like, just it's funny because like you, you give these recommendations out, they're good at the time, and then you know, it's just a moving, it's just a moving target. It's like all everything else in security. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It definitely is. Um, let me think, let me see if there's anything else that's up there that, um, I'd be calling out, you know, I mean, uh, novel class of attack like that hacking of Microsoft teams, you know, okay, cool. That's electron applications. There's a lot of those that are out there, right? If you're trying oh, to I find bugs in a lot you hate teams? I hate yeah, I know. Teams. I cannot. Like, I, there's rare that I say I hate something. I, I hate Microsoft Teams. I think it's, it's I think it's a fucking joke of a product, to be quite honest. But anyways, sorry to anybody who's worked on it, loves it, secured it, and uses it day to day, but it stinks. Though I got to say, Slack has been progressively being harder for me to use, too. So it's not like uh, that's been going super well for me either. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> Maybe I'm the problem. But uh I've never, anyways, it just makes me happy that someone messed up. Uh, <laughs> messed <teams>. up. <laughs> it just makes me teams. happy. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to go after Slack next, right? Like, no, I don't know. Well, I'm sorry, Larry, that you are, um, that that is the case, that you are having to, to hopefully it's not to, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Sorry. <laughs> I live in teams all, all day. Yeah, it's just, I, did not enjoy the interface. I had a lot of problems with it. Um, it's just clunky, I felt. But in any case, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when I was at GitHub, they they were uh, they were talking about putting us on Teams, but they ended up just doing it for. Uh, and it was after I left, I think, for video chat or something like that specifically. Yeah, it's showing a lot of Teams. I like it. Um, yeah. Well. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there were some issues when we looked at Discord too, since you're mentioning Slack versus Teams versus whatever else. And I think there were some issues with Discord. Uh, we looked at it for our, our use. But anyways, for now, Slack it is. Yeah. yeah, so we got some other articles to talk through. I don't know if you want to move on from this top 10 web hacking stuff or if you want to stay. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think we'll we'll circle back to it um, as we, especially as we dig in further, right? Like I'd like to do a wider, you know, discussion on the web session security stuff uh, once we've had, you know, more time to pull that apart. Um, and, it, you know, take that list with a grain of salt. Like I said, innovative techniques, like you can learn from it. Um, there's also like, I think they had what, 68 entries. Yes. That were dropped in there. So yes, this were the top 10, but there's going to be some other things that are in there that may be interesting to you personally that weren't as interesting to a wider audience. Right. Like, um, yeah, Dom base race conditions, right. Like things that might have, uh, that might be applicable to you and what you're looking at. Right. So, I, I mean, I would look at the full nomination list if you haven't yet. Um, here, I'm going to drop that in there as well. I know it's in the article itself, but the full nomination list has other things that may or may not uh, be useful to you. That's actually really helpful. Yeah. to know about that full nomination list. Cause honestly, I didn't even pick up on that. Um, mm -hmm. So now I'm going to go check that out instead of just the top 10. That's cool. Yeah. 
Yep. Yep. There. Yeah. There are good ones there. So, okay, cool. Uh, so you want to talk about uh, hacking using LLMs? Is that, is that we can. I, well, I mean, yeah, sure. I, mean, I was going to talk about the, uh, yeah. So the, we have that one and there's another article I want to get to, which is about the stats of the cybersecurity interest industry. So I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll do the LLM one first, but I definitely want to make sure we save time for that article. Um, okay. So the LLM one's just more of interesting research. Let me paste this in to chat. Uh, there is essentially what it is, is using generative LLMs to, uh, sorry, generative AI LLMs. Um, damn it. That is, all right. Give me a sec here for these links. Let me, let me say the summary and then I'll figure that out while, uh, while I get Seth's take. So Summary. Some researchers, I think it was like four different researchers, um, they used GPT-4, GPT-3.5, Llama 270B, Llama 234B. And this is important because 34B is supposed to have like mostly parity with uh, 3.5 GPT, whereas uh, 70B is supposed to be more on par with, um, it's not quite, but it's supposed to be more on par with GPT-4. Obviously, GPT-4 right now is the most powerful one out there. Everybody pretty much knows that. But um, the research was asked, you know, sort of a question, like, can we use LLMs to hack websites? And it turns out for about $9.81 a run, yes. Or for a hacked website, yes. Now, I should say they tried. So most of this testing was done. There were 50 older sites, right, ones that were probably vulnerable. They went and they tested their technology on those after they had done, ran through their lab because most of their testing was done through like vulnerable web apps, right? Purposefully vulnerable ones. Mm-hmm. They tried this in the live world, real world, against about 50 apps, if I read that right. One popped as uh, having a vulnerability, but they couldn't reach out. They couldn't uh, reach anybody on the like at the company, let alone security team. So they just omitted the name of the, the website from their research. Good call. You know, you don't want to overshadow this good research with that kind of spicy stuff. Um, and what they did was they they used a, kind of what we're learning with LLMs, at least, I mean, you know, if through my research and I think through others is, you know, you ask a lot of little discrete questions and you chain things together. So you have multiple kind of inputs, outputs, and they're, they're being used um, in a chain sequence. And now there's this concept with LLMs called agents. And agents allow you to have your LLM do things. It's essentially allowing your LLM to invoke a function which can do many things, right? In this case, it can send requests to a website. And through uh, several prompts and discrete tasks, without prior knowledge of what vulnerabilities it needed to attack, the LLMs did a pretty good job of actually not only detecting vulnerabilities in live running dynamically tested websites, but also exploiting multi-order things like um, using blind SQL injection techniques to extract the database schema and database contents, just as an example. Um, The PDF is linked at the top right. And again, I'll I'll put all these. Oh, you already put the the links in there. Thank you. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm just bad at like copying links and pasting in on the fly. Uh, And then also giving summaries. Um, All right. So 
that's kind of a, in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot of like things that we could get into with the cost breakdown. Like it's very, it doesn't cost much to do any of this. It's actually doesn't take a lot of engineering overhead. Um, you, you create the functions to make the calls and you allow your LLM to essentially be smart enough to start making its own decisions on how it's going to do things. Um, I've been saying for a while, I think agents uh, and, and they use LangChain, so we can speak in LangChain speak. They have agent tools. It used to be uh, agent functions. Now it's agent tools for like a little bit more robust um, access uh, on behalf of your LLMs. But uh, yeah, LLMs can Essentially, you can have them, uh, you can ask them a, to do something and then they can perform orders of operations using various tools. Obviously, you've defined the functions. You can get pretty abstract as to what it can put into those functions and accept as input, um, what, what it can call within those functions. It is up to you, obviously, but um, this is getting more into the world of letting some machine make some level of reasoning and then doing something with that level of reasoning and starting to operate with the external world through your LLM. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, I thought it was really fascinating, but uh, what are your, what is your sort of immediate take on, you know, this research and yeah, just in general, what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, this is what I'm expecting. Right. And I think this was the initial take that, you know, we kind of went back and forth on with this article or with this paper um, is that LLMs are going to push people on the SAST and DAS side of things. Right. Um, SAST and DAS tools are going to need to keep up um, and figure out how to use LLMs to speed up their process as opposed to just doing the, the, um, the decades old technique of brute forcing um, since yeah. And for $9, you can have the LLM go out and spider the site and find things and, you know, kind of get that low hanging fruit out of the way. Um, again, this is what we're looking at it for internally, you know, as a consulting org, right? How do we actually utilize this to speed up what our guys are doing so we can focus them on the edge cases, on the business logic flaws, on the stuff that is more interesting that actually would take a human to decide what's going on. And then we're going to have to train the LLM to actually identify that in the future as well, right? Like it, it's this idea of how quickly can we get to the meat of an assessment, the meat of a vulnerability, the exploit that actually exists and validate that it is there. And if an LLM, in this case, like GPT-4, catching like 60% of these or 70% of these right off the bat, I, I mean, that just frees me up to actually go look at other things and to think more innov innovatively and to think about threats in a different manner. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically not surprised is what I'm saying. Right. Um, this is what I'm expecting to come out of LLMs in our space specifically. And this is why you need to be utilizing it. Right. Like if these guys can do it, you can do it. Right. Um, that that's really what it boils down to. You've got to, you, you know, we've got to start spending the time in this space so that we're not caught with our pants down. I, I like basically is what, it, what, what my take is. I mean, I think that's um, fair. Yeah. 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 What, I don't I mean, even really have much to add to that. I mean, I mean, that's yeah. what I was going to say. I don't really have much else to add to that. I'm just like, yeah, everything is getting turbocharged. So um, actually, let me just leave a message for Fortify and Sneak and <laughs> check marks and all that. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's going really well. Um, <laughs> just leave keep it. on that track. 
Yeah, you don't need this AI just keep, stuff. Just keep milking that, right? Yeah. Yeah, deterministic stuff, AST parsing. That's where it's at. You all should keep on that. So, uh, <laughs> cool. So, anyways, cool. for everybody else, <laughs> get on get on the bus. No. Um, yeah. So, but I agree with you. I think things are things are changing. I think what's more interesting, though, for me, is seeing how the tool chains and ecosystems are extending things so you can do these like really interesting unique um techniques very easily and very cheaply so that's very cool but uh i feel like i'm a broken record in this this space uh so it can be uh you me and daniel meisler just you know going off about how important it is for the time being um, uh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, I mean, I know we still want to revisit Fabric too. From Daniel, speaking of that, right? Like you know, utilizing like an AI assistant to help you do do, do various things. Um, I know, like personally, I'm becoming more dependent on you know utilizing AI as my search lookup as opposed to going to Google, um, just because the results are more relevant, right? Um, and I don't know if you've been experiencing that as well. Yes, in the in the security space, right? Like it's easier to ask. A question of an agent than it is to go again the deterministic hey i've got everything possible and i have to fine-tune my search string it's a lot easier just to you know have a conversation quote unquote right like a prompt to get that same information back in a more relevant manner well, and we're going to show that in the course companies i'll just say that you know yeah. google search has been getting really really good it's just getting better and better you know <laughs> just really loving those results i mean honestly most of the time i'm like stop showing me useful information show me more ads so you know thank you google and uh no jokes aside yeah chat gpt has become my my google in a lot of cases and you're right i mean it's just a much easier to get succinct results sort of distilled down from many sources um mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just much quicker. And I know like our devs even use it all the time, like to uh, to sort yeah, to ask like simple questions that just you would get a bunch of ads returned to you if you tried to search the internet for, for those results. So um Yep. Yeah, could but I do want to get to this. I do wanna since we okay. since we're running since we're I do wanna throw yeah. some shade, but maybe before okay. we do that. There's a question from one of the viewers, and it's one I think only you can really answer here because I don't have the mobile <laughs> shops anymore. Okay. But uh, it says, I am starting out in the field of cybersecurity on the offensive side, particularly on mobile application security. Uh, currently, I have completed DSA. I don't even know what I'm guessing that's like damn something app or something. Uh, I don't know what that is. Right now, uh, I am learning Android de uh, dev in order to understand the tech. Am I on the right track? Uh, yes, right. Um, so, I, I mean, in general, and I think, you know, you would agree with this, right? Like being able to jump into something on the offensive side, uh, you're going to have to learn the dev under, you know, the the way the apps are actually put together. Um, I think it's probably even more important on, from a mobile perspective than it is from a web perspective, although it's going to help you in any case when you're looking at a specific application. Um, I mean, in the mobile space right now, it's um, it's fairly difficult um, just based on the tools that are out there and already available. Um, I'm not seeing as much growth in that space on the offensive or even the, you know, defensive side of things um, because we've come to this uh, this point where 
the mobile application, like the environments themselves control a lot of what's actually, you know, running within that environment. It's as not, it's not as wide open as a, a web browser or like, you know, desktop systems or whatever else. Right. Um, so you've got to, but you are on the right track. That I guess is what I'm going to uh, close with. Figure out how dev is done and then start to figure out where the flaws in that dev process are, right? Like, you know, what are the patterns that developers use in general and look to see where the deficiencies exist. Um, come at it from a threat perspective and you're going to do great. Is DSA cool. data structures and algorithms? Is that what we're talking about here? I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. Android data I'm, structure and algorithms are the heart of computer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Android so. Android. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure if he's talking about a specific. Yeah. What are data structures okay. Android developers should know? As long as it's not just me, because I was a little confused by that. I wasn't sure if that was like a vulnerable app or a course or something like that. Acronyms yeah. suck, man. They just, they're, yeah, they're all over the place and we use so many of them and they're not even, and like even within AppSec, there's like different, ac uh, different meanings for the same acronym. So not the easiest. Um, RSA is a good example, right? Um, but yeah. Yep. Uh, cool. cool. Okay. So uh, yes, the next one, the throwing the shade yes. one. <laughs> okay. Trust me. No I really liked it. I'll drop them in here. I'll drop this in here. Okay. Venture insecurity. Okay. Ken, go. <laughs> no, like, so yeah, the summary of the article kind of breaks down why, well, it breaks down that statistics are hard to come by. Yes, it is data structures and algorithms. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, okay. So the article breaks down that uh, here basically gives a lot of examples of stats that are some of them are just completely different. Like I think in one example, they talk about how um, the cost is like of cybersecurity incidents is like, I don't know, 68. Well, I'm just throwing out numbers like 60 something billion. And then another is like, oh, it's 8 trillion, you know, and it's like, oh, well, clearly uh, those numbers aren't right. Another example would be uh, they, they talk about the uh, JP Morgan um, exec who put out some information and said like the cost of daily uh, or the, the the amount of money for uh, spent on like daily attacks that we thwart is like $45 billion and it costs us like $8 billion a day or something. I don't know, something wild like that. Maybe it's a million. I don't know. Um, a lot of money. It, it's just, yeah, 82%. 82% of statistics are all made up. I like that. That's from Larry. Yeah, it's all uh, horse shit. It's obviously not accurate. Um and uh, but then he goes into why. Right. And the, the why is actually a little less um, provocative. Right. Because part of it is uh, and I've seen this before. and You've seen this before because you and I have dealt with the world of giving uh, interviews to press and then seeing what comes out after that. And frankly, they're just looking for sound bites and they're just looking for like one off sentences. They don't put a lot of context into it. And frankly, usually they cherry pick from a security researcher's input, like the thing that they're really interested in, not the. Yeah, there you go. So it says 320 billion uh, in cybercrime. Another one's like going to cost eight trillion. Right. And then the, the, the out of that eight trillion is like four percent is attributed to the U.S. Uh, you know, it's like uh, surely in the world's economy, that's not accurate. Um 
but yeah, anyways, there's just inaccuracies all over the place. And really it comes down to, yeah. So let's start with their security researchers giving input, you know, editors. And actually we can talk in a second about that uh, worst of cybersecurity reporting talk we went to, which I loved, you loved at CactusCon. That was really awesome. Um, where they, they touch on some of the reasons for this, but like, yeah, editors have time or excuse me, authors have time constraints. Editors often come in and will edit articles uh, and then the, the actual original author doesn't even see that before it goes to print in some cases. Um, that, so that's what the security researchers input from executives. It's more of uh, kind of blind, um, blindly going with, with what they were provided and misunderstanding sort of the, the um, so in some cases, there were, I think there were two cases they pointed to at least that I could think of where, uh, the they were theoretical attacks like the toothbrush one we all joked about on twitter and some other social media platforms uh where they're like oh you're uh we blame tooth toothbrushes for this ddos attack and you know yeah. all these things like and so they you know they're theoretical attacks they're like they're 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 on a, a game board essentially right it's it's not real but there's misinterpretation um not purposefully on on the, the the part of authors so just maybe some ignorance of um and not maybe in all cases great vetting uh so that's that's on the one hand and the other places uh, that they 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 you know we collect information from are things like think tanks vcs which who obviously have their theses uh on what's going to be the thing um and information skewed towards towards that thing um yeah just a whole host of uh various um and then they they talk about uh you know one thing we've always struggled with is when to take sponsorship when not to we've largely opted to pretty much until until impart security we really didn't take any sponsorship from anybody i mean we were we were offered from some pretty nice big companies early on um and uh, you know, basically said no. And the reason is, is that there is always that little bit of friction between, um, like he mentioned, some authors that are pretty good at putting in their newsletters uh, sponsorship, but doing it in a way that um, you know doesn't look, it doesn't like necessarily affect um, uh, the merit of the content. But at the end of the day, there is always that sort of like, well, are you going to go and you know talk bad or like? give a negative opinion or a real cynical view of something if you are being sponsored by them. So talks a little bit about that friction, but uh, largely it's not a huge, huge deal, I think. Um, and then the, the, the one that kind of really stuck out for me, and I feel like this is one you're, you're going to, you're going to like Seth. not necessarily the, the very large organizations um, that are supposed to evaluate tooling and all that, right? But for sure, the smaller ones, the ones where they can get away with it, um, are influenced because they're catering to both sellers and to buyers. So they're taking money from both sides. And that's where things get pretty hinky. So, um, all right, that's my full rundown of the article. I thought it was a, a, a basically a nice, provable way to show why our stats are all over the place and give some some hypotheticals on on or at least some ideas of why that might be with some concrete evidence uh, behind. So, mm -hmm. having said a lot of words, Seth, about this article and your experience with statistics, with information, with 
unbiased reporting. Unbiased you know, reporting. Where, yes. would you, where would you say? Where, what do you believe? What What are your <laughs> What's your experience? What are your thoughts? Um. Yeah. I, I mean, what you know, the the number of you know stats that are made up, right? Uh, the number of I don't know. I, like I feel like you and I comb through quite a bit of quite a few articles in the course of the year as we're looking at stuff to talk about on the podcast. And, you know, you mentioned the talk at Cactus Con, like we should probably start doing our own, like, uh, you know, yearly, you know, poor reporting in application security or whatever it is, right? Like whatever we want to call it, um, that a lot of the articles and a lot of things that get, get spun up is, and, and, you know, you and I have mentioned this in the past, it is focused on very small pieces or very like cherry picked items out of research in order to bring in either the views, either to bring in like the articles. And I mean, it's the same thing that a lot of this independent analysis actually does. The large firms will spit something out, smaller firms pick it up and they want to draw people eyes onto their page for, you know, ad revenue or what have you. And so they pick out the one like inflammatory title, article, whatever, like or piece of information in order to drive that traffic. Um, that seems to be the general flow. And you've always got to take everything with a grain of salt, right? Like that's kind of what it runs into. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it, again, right? Like this is not surprising to me that it's this bad because we see it, right? Like even from a breach data, the DOS articles, like most of what we look at, um, I mean, you know, yeah, he talks about independent bloggers. Yeah, like as I'm looking through here, data aggregators, right? Like where everything's coming from, media companies. Man, there's a lot to this. I need to read through it all, right? Like as far as what's going on. Um, yeah, mythic myths and lies in InfoSec. I, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean. I guess my takeaway is you've just got to take it with a grain of salt and then actually read the research and be fairly critical of what it is that's going into it and what they're actually claiming to see whether or not it adds up, right? Um, as far as a numbers perspective, right? Like, are they just taking the top line, um, you know, 3.4 million jobs in cybersecurity? Where is that actually coming from? Have they done their due diligence? Um, from a stats perspective, uh, you know, my son's at school, but I should get it. I should pull him in here, right? Um because he is doing a, a stats class right now when you start talking about analyzing number and how easy it is to actually spin out and focus on the wrong thing. And then correlation does not equal causation is the other thing that we run into all the time, right? Um, just because two numbers are both increasing at the same rate at the same time does not necessarily mean that they are related. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know where to go with that, right? Outside of be careful what you actually put your trust in because like we've been burned in the past, even from large organizations. And I know I've, I've done my own analysis in the past where I thought it was correct. And when it came out, came down to it, it was not. Um, And so you've got to be very, very careful with the claims that you make uh, because right. Like it, it doesn't always add up. There is um, everybody's got their, and actually, they talk about this in this that article. Like there is uh, your own 
Uh, so like uh, your own bias, but your your network's own bias, right? So like uh, I just want to point that mm-hmm. out. And even like I thought about that from from this podcast, right? We have a community, but that community follows us. Um, I don't know for whatever reason. No, uh, and thank you all for listening. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean we probably all have some level of shared experiences, or at least you know some sort of uh, level of uh, camaraderie in our insights. I don't know whatever it might be, but. Um, there's got to be some level, I'm sure, of uh, sort of uh, bias there. So, um, but, and from our own network of people that we trust and whatever, but like, let's be honest, that's where a lot of us get our um, recommendations for, for, you know, tooling and for, you know, what's interesting and uh, what techniques may work or whatever is because, you know, we, we tend to, to, to trust each other. So I, I, I think on that note, uh, there's one, so just, Pointing out the obvious bias, there is one um, person who I've been following lately. I met at OWASP DC back in, or whatever it was called, but it was in DC um, last year, uh, towards the end of the year. James Berhothi, I think is how you say it. Um, And uh, it's Latio Tech, L-A-T-I-O Tech. What's nice is his whole goal is to... um, because not everybody has access to a lot of different tools. Um, and so they can't necessarily just pull those in and do a, a review of it. Um, and because, you know, not a, just that not everybody has the ability to see and or the time to see how all the various tools uh, stack up, but also to sort of like uh, have the time to see the new stuff that's coming out that may not be even discussed, you know, in the, in those uh, existing um channels you know that you see stuff put out in like channels that are biased to buyers and sellers so um if you want to follow someone who i think linkedin's probably the best way um but again it's latio tech uh but yeah he's been doing some cool stuff where he's just bringing a ton of different products to the to the or that are hitting the market and doing a bunch of reviews and sort of telling people about it and all that so anyways um it's cool just check it out um Maybe I can put a link here. Well, yeah. 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 Pull, drop one in there. Um, otherwise we've been going for a while. I know, you know, we've got some, we got a cutoff that we've got to push. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, to wrap things up, take it all with a grain of salt, um, dig into OLMs and check out the, you know, top 10 web hacking techniques from 2023. Cause there's a lot there to actually expand your own knowledge base. Um, yeah. And then find us on social media or join our Slack. Um, love to chat further there, uh, especially about these items. It's, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot that comes into that Slack channel nowadays. Like I think even you and I have a hard time keeping up with as busy as we are with everything that's going on, but there's a lot of great people that are in there. Yeah. I was laughing. Cause, uh, speaking of busy, like, uh, I know we gotta get going, but, uh, it's kind of funny. Cause like the, the this last Thursday when I was flying out to Phoenix for the conference, I realized like I was there exactly one week ago, like to the minute at the same like at the same spot in the airport. Exactly one week later, like I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I'm traveling again. It's that time of year, so it's all starting back up. Yep. Anyways, cool man. Sweet. Um, good call. Well, thanks everybody for joining today and interacting, listening. Uh, Let us know what else you find. We'll be back next week. And yeah, 
Otherwise, enjoy it, and we'll talk to you all then. Ciao.